Welcome to Flip the Library, Gwinnett County Public Library's podcast. My name is Melissa Gramont. I'm the supervisory librarian at Norcross Branch. And I'm Steve Thomas, the branch manager at the Collins Hill Branch. And we are talking today with staff who attended the Georgia Library Conference. And uh, about half the people here uh, presented and other people just attended. And the people who presented also attended sessions. And so we'll talk about the overall experience of attending this conference. Um, I'm Daniel Klein. I'm a library associate at Buford Sugar Hill Branch. Mac Freeman, a branch manager at the Peachtree Corners Branch. Sarah Brubaker, library associate at the Tequila Branch. I'm Lenny Nargueta, library associate at Lilburn Branch. And I'm Kelly Williams, the part-time library assistant at Tequila. So is there anybody here who this was their first conference that they've ever attended before? Um, and if so, there are a couple, yes, um, hands being raised. That's a great, that's a great podcasting right there. Um, if, any, if you want to talk about what was your experience at the conference just as a first time attendee, what did it meet your expectations? Was there anything that really stood out for you? Um, this is my first time attending a conference, not the first time applying to go. I've applied to go to at least all of them over the last past four years. Um, and it was better than I imagined working and being and listening to people who work in the library who have been doing this for years or who had just started it was really um, I guess confidence boosting to be among people who were like-minded my experience with the Georgia Library Conference was that it was a lot more laid back than I was expecting Uh, my previous conference experiences are more along the lines of Dragon Con, which is 80,000 people all mushing together, running over each other, and chaos and bloodshed ensues. So uh, this was obviously a much you know, more focused and uh, smaller scale. And so I was pleasantly surprised by how relaxed I felt the whole time. I think that the sessions were paced well so that While in the session, we were able to just kind of absorb the information, focus, and nothing lasted longer than it should have. We had breaks in between, chances to uh, just catch our breath, and uh, really the whole experience was very enjoyable and uh, not nearly as uh, overwhelming as some other conferences that I've attended. Less people dressed like Doctor Who. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was my first time attending the conference or any type of conference, Um, and since I'm new in the system as well, this was a first-time experience in all terms. Um, I did feel very relaxed, and it wasn't, like she said before, not not overwhelming at all, Um, and... It is a good experience to learn from others um, and also to to hear what others have been doing in their communities, with their communities, and gathering with people that are working in the same field as you you do. Since we have um, had our first-timers explain um, their experience going to GLC for the first time, does anyone want to talk about why they wanted to attend GLC this year? Earlier this year, Victoria Perez, who unfortunately could not make it today, and I were approached by another staff member encouraging us to create a presentation about our experiences with bilingual customer service. 
At the time, we didn't have a particular platform in mind. We just knew that both of us had gained a lot of very valuable experience working with non-native English speakers, and we wanted the opportunity to share that information with other staff members. When the opportunity arose for us to apply for GLC, we went, aha, we have a presentation. Let's go ahead and uh, bring it to this audience, and it ended up being a great match. I actually attended GLC a few years ago when it was called Como, um, and that was pre-GCPL, um, and I was a fledgling paraprofessional trying to figure out what was happening in the library science world, and I wanted to go back now and represent Gwinnett County Public Libraries, and I got to have a wonderful partner, Steve, and we talked about our podcast. So this was um, almost like my first time again because it was a completely different experience um, going as just a passive participant and then as a presenter. So, Yeah, I, I, I agree too. And that's part of why I wanted to go was I wanted to do a I thought it'd be a good presentation for Melissa and I to do one about our podcast. And I wanted to share with our local state library association and I had gone to the conference a few times in the past, and I had heard it had gotten a lot better, and it really has. It's, it's, it's a fantastic conference now, and I really enjoyed myself. The, it was really hard to pick between sessions of what you wanted to go do, um, and that which is always, always makes a good conference when you don't know where to go <laughs> because everything's too great. Um, but, yeah, it was great, and I think we had a great experience presenting as well, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. So. Um, as I said before, this was my first time attending a conference, and for me, this was a, um, a good experience to see what what it is about, what type of conference, what information I could get um, to meet other people and to find out what the industry is like uh, for librarians and um, I actually was able to see that there's a very small amount of Latino librarians, and I think that that's um, inspiring in a way, and it was a good discovery, <laughs> sort of, um, and I, I do not regret applying for it, and I'm glad that I was able to have the opportunity. So I like going to conferences just all the time, but what I especially like is the uh, about the Georgia Libraries Conference is that there are you know there are, it's easy to forget that there are thousands of people who work in libraries across the state of Georgia, and but you know this is a conference where uh, a lot of the same faces start to show up, but they aren't necessarily in the same places any longer. And so you know somebody who I used to know who worked for Fulton is now at Cobb, and somebody who was at Kennesaw State is now at Brunel University. And so a lot of these people are moving around, and so you know the access to the larger library world keeps evolving as people grow in their careers, change trajectories, and different things like that. And the conference provides a good place for everybody, no matter where they are, to kind of come together, share ideas, and share what they've discovered in the last year. So as Melissa and I mentioned, we presented this year, um, and, we, and we also have quite a few people in here who did present. Um, those of you who presented, can you share your experience presenting and any advice you have for others who would like to present at a conference in the future? Um, so this was my first time presenting at a conference. I did a presentation that was titled Exploring Virtual Reality, um, where basically I talked about 
I talked about what virtual reality is, what augmented reality is, and how those technologies are uh, are being used. Well, I tried to cover a, a variety of ground because I didn't know exactly the audience I was going to get. Um, it turned out to be, you know, a variety of different people in the audience, you know, people at library systems that had virtual reality equipment and had been using it, or those who were thinking about it, or those who had never used VR before and didn't really know much about it. So it was a kind of a lot of ground to cover. Um, but my experience with it was that it was pretty um, casual, you know, comfortable way to get started with presenting. The room wasn't huge. You know, we were able, everyone was able to sort of talk naturally and, you know, make themselves heard. Even, you know, during the presentation, it wasn't just necessarily me talking. It's, it's a lot more comfortable if there's actual communication between you and the audience. Um, so I think that if you were thinking about presenting at a conference, um, GLC or a local conference like that would be a good option just to sort of get your feet wet and get started with it. And so... For me, the presentation just came about that um, in March this year. So I was working on some training for GCPL staff regarding our VR equipment that we have and um, programming and the types of things that we could do with it. And so I made a presentation on that that I gave to staff. And our branch manager, Nessa, sort of encouraged me to take that and apply to GLC with it. And I noticed that, you know, even somewhere in the description or the information about the conference, they mentioned virtual reality and technologies like that. So I thought, you know, maybe it would be a good fit for the conference. And I worked on it some more, expanded it. And one good part of the experience, too, was being able to um, practice the presentation I was going to give in front of GCPL staff, you know, multiple times and get feedback. That's something I would definitely encourage anybody to take advantage of. Um, I got great feedback when I presented. You know, they, they gave good advice, and I think everybody I saw, you know, not just myself, but other presenters really refined their presentation in terms of what information they were presenting and how they were presenting it um, over the course of that. So it was a really good experience. I have presented at the Georgia Library Conference a couple of times. This year I was presenting on uh, library services to LGBTQ people, uh, if that sounds familiar, it's probably because a lot of our staff attended it at Staff Day. Um, but this is a this is actually a presentation I put together uh, to do at a Staff Day for a, a library in Birmingham that uh, that approached me about talking about this topic. And so it's something you know that once I created it, I wanted to be able to use it as many times as possible. And so if you've ever you know created something to present to the public or to present, you know, just to your team or something like that, think if you can expand it or if there's other opportunities to get that information out there because developing the topic and getting the content together is 90% of the battle. Getting up and talking, it, it ain't nothing but a thing. So, um, but, uh, so I, I did that and I, and, you know, like was said, I, I really appreciate the this conference because it is a more intimate setting. You know, typically sessions are somewhere between 15 and 35 people in the audience. And so you really can connect with people. Um, and especially in the Q&As, the, uh, the audience will start to interact with one another. And so during my Q&A, um, 
you know, there was some back and forth about uh, how you balance, you know, perhaps more conservative areas of the state and services to LGBTQ people. And somebody started crying uh, while they were they were talking about their point of view because they have a, a child who's queer and they live in a conservative area and there was nothing on the library shelves for their child. And so their child thought that they were wrong or bad. And so, you know, there's part of, you know, presenting about anything is you never kind of know where the conversation's going to go. And so you get to, you know, learn more every time you present on a topic, even if it's something you've, you've done quite a bit. But this is a, I think this is a wonderful conference to get started at. The audience is very supportive and everybody in the audience wants the presenter to do well, really, truly, and honestly. And so it's a great place to get started. Melissa and I also presented uh, about this conference, like we mentioned earlier about the podcast, and I wholeheartedly, 1,000% agree with what Daniel said about the presentation practice. It's really great to have that because you basically go in, you do it once, they give you feedback, and then you come back a, f- a few weeks later and do it again, incorporating that feedback. And then you even get more feedback after that that you can incorporate into your final thing. But that was invaluable, I think, to our presentation. Yes. It was trial by fire. Yes. I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. No. Um, for someone who gets a little bit nervous speaking in front of people, I think it was really wonderful that um, GCPL prepares uh, so well before we present at a conference. So we're representing the system and they want us to do well. So they really make sure that you get um, many different people looking at your work. And so when you do um, your presentation, you, it's your best um, presentation. So. And you hear how nice and slowly Melissa is talking, whereas I'm speeding through all of my words when I speak. So I feel like I am a sloth right now when I'm speaking. (laughs) But it probably sounds normal. (laughs) For both Vicki and me, this was our first time presenting in a professional setting. And for me, it was the first time I'd presented anything since college. And I was just uh, giving presentations on my projects and papers. And so it had been uh, several years since I had to go through that experience again and relive all of the uh, ticks and quirks that I have as a public speaker. Um, For me, my main problem is that I have a hard time catching my breath. I usually just keep speaking out and then forgetting to inhale. And then I get red in the face and I look like I'm about to explode. <laughs> uh, minor problems like that. <laughs> and uh, for Vicky, um, I don't think she'd mind me saying that her main uh, tick is just she rocks a lot. She uh, And this is an everyday conversation. She just moves a lot as she speaks. And um, so both of us had to find different ways of uh, creating memory tricks or coping mechanisms that help us to speak smoothly and fluently. Um, for me, I it, while I was practicing, I had cues in my script or in my notes where I was like, breathe, breathe here. <laughs> and um, for her, she actually ended up getting a kneaded eraser that she um, fiddled with uh, behind her back. And that helped um, get rid of some of her kinetic energy uh, so that she could stand still a little better. So I definitely want to encourage anyone who, who is a nervous speaker or who knows that they are not perfect, um, that this is not the place for perfection, so don't worry about it. And the main thing was that we had a topic that we were passionate about and that we knew other people would want to know about. Uh, We were talking about bilingual customer service. And so every day at the public library, we're encountering people who don't speak English as their first language. 
And they have a lot of different ways of approaching that barrier. Um, So through our conversation, we talked about the five most common uh, tropes that we see in bilingual customer service. So customers who have any level of fluency from being mostly fluent in English with, you know, a little bit of an accent to customers who don't speak any language English at all and everything in between customers who bring in translators, customers who uh, insist on speaking in English even though they struggle with it and all, all the good stuff in between. So uh, these were all compiled from experiences that we had in our past several years of customer service and in our audience we had a wide range of librarian experience as well. Um, about half of our audience spoke a second language um, and half were just English speakers. And so we had to address both sides of that equation. You know, what do you do when someone comes in struggling with English and you do speak their language or what do you do if you don't? Um, we also had, you know, different types of libraries. Obviously, Gwinnett County Public Library has a very large um, non-English speaking population. Um, about a third of the population speaks languages other than English, so this is very common for us. Other libraries don't encounter it as often, and the less frequently that people encounter it, the more afraid they are of it and the more um, questions they have and uncertainties. So. Our main goal with this presentation was just to inform people of these are the general expectations you can have. This is, uh, you know, very common. Don't worry about it. It's not going to be uh, all a shambles. You you can get through the situation with your normal, excellent customer service skills. Um, And so really just to help people know that if someone is struggling with English, it's not the end of the world. And one of our main points from the presentation was that non-native English speakers are usually more patient because they know that this will be a problem that they're going to encounter. Um, And so they can actually be some of the most understanding and pleasant customers to work with because they are willing to take the time to make sure that their ideas are communicated. Uh, So we had a wonderful time with the experience. We had a great audience who they were taking notes. And I'm like, what are you taking notes on? I don't know. Apparently we were making some good points. Um, And they engaged with us in our discussion afterwards with some of their personal experiences. So I definitely encourage you, if you've got a, a specific type of situation that you encounter on a regular basis, but that you've noticed either your peers struggle with or you imagine other types of librarians will struggle with if they don't deal with it as often. Um, and you realize, well, I've got these coping mechanisms. These are the things that I do every day. Um, go ahead and share that with other librarians. They'd be happy to learn about your experiences. Thank you, everyone, for sharing um, about your presentations. Um, I want to ask about um, the other sessions that everyone attended. And can anyone talk about their favorite session um, or any highlights for multiple sessions? I attended as many sessions as I humanly could. After a while, I did get tired um, and skipped one here or there. Um, But I attended Mac's um, Freedom of Information Interest Group, which did manage to do a lot towards highlighting my interest. Ha ha. Uh, (laughs) There was a group of us who was interested in freedom of information, and it was just fun to talk about it with people who have different opinions and they have different stances in their life that were able to share their ideas and their thoughts at that time. I actually also attended 
Charles Pace's, um, he did a kind of group presentation about how different counties are trying to bring kids into their system. Um, and there are several counties who are trying something similar to what we're doing with Branch Out. He did make it clear that we are the most successful with it so far. Um, but one of the other counties was doing something interesting where they were only doing, they were waiving fees for first graders and their entire families. So like everyone who lived at that address, they would waive the fees for their, um, for that age group. And the reason that they said was that, you know, kindergarten, you're just starting to learn how to read, but by first grade, that's really when you start getting a handle on reading and, um, developing that baseline for a lifelong love of reading. So that was just something really interesting that they did. So one of the sessions that I attended, uh, I really liked the title of it was called, um, you know, renovating your library on a dime or something like that. And, uh, it should have kind of been more referred to like renovating your library on a couple of hundred thousand dollars worth of dimes. <laughs> um, so it was, uh, Anna Lyle, who's the director up at the Forsyth County, uh, library, uh, and they were talking about how they renovated their Sharon Forks location, but they were able to actually save enough money through reusing and repurposing everything that they already owned that they basically unlocked enough money to build like a 2,000 square foot teen area. And so, you know, then they were kind of talking about how you know, that a lot of times when people come in and they want to like redesign a space, they want to build a new building that they, you know, the designers and all that want to go at all from scratch, but that, you know, there are certain people that you can work with who are really good at this kind of upcycling or looking and seeing what you've got. And like, how could this be cut apart? How could this be done? And she was saying that they roughly, you know, you can count on about a, a 30 to $35 per square foot cost when you do a major renovation and they cut down, there's down to something like 15 to $18. And so I thought that that was really uh, interesting. There was a lot of stuff about about buildings and, and all the different kind of things that are being done with Georgia's libraries because a lot of them are reaching that 20, 30, 40-year-old mark, and it's it's time for a new one. And so some people were talking about the challenges of doing, if, you know, renovating your library when it's in a historical district. And, you know, people don't want you to take the planters down from out front because they have historical value attached to them, and you just thought they were ugly concrete planters. And so... Um, so there was a lot of really great information about uh, that. Another session I attended that I thought was pretty successful was uh, uh, Angela Glicheski, uh the assistant director over at Sequoia Regional, talked about how their system just did away with performance reviews. And they've moved to a different system that does um, a series of kind of structured conversations about progress three times a year. And, you know, how it was kind of more valuable to them because it encouraged more conversation and development and growth rather than a, a once a year kind of numerical rating. And I just thought that that was interesting food for thought because it's very different from what we do here. Um, and not that one is necessarily right or wrong, but it does provide different options to consider. I attended Amy Eklund's interest group meeting on collection development. That is an area of librarianship that I am interested in pursuing in the future. I am currently working on my MLIS and wanted to see what other uh, collection developers were working on in different library systems, and it was pretty fascinating to hear some different perspectives because I wasn't aware of how many different approaches there were to collection development. Uh, she talked about how we have centralized purchasing and several of the librarians gasped. They were uh, shocked that, you know, it was all taken care of by one centralized team instead of at the branch level. 
and we talked about um, a couple different factors like when to purchase digital versions of items versus physical and the particular concern was with audio um, music and books and uh, video Um, and they mentioned some things like sometimes digital copies can be five times more expensive than physical copies but you know over the next couple decades the physical versions are probably going to start losing uh, pertinency and um, eventually are going to die out and so how do we help that transition while still maintaining cost effectiveness and another topic was uh, the pros and cons of having a floating collection Uh, several of the libraries have systems where um, they just keep the items assigned to a branch and so there are some pros there in that the branches are assured of having a certain amount of items or you know it's there's a good chance that they'll have a complete series or um, that kind of thing Uh, whereas with the floating collection you know the items just end up where they do so one branch can have five copies of a book while another has none Uh, but then we save a lot of time and effort with you know shepherding books back and forth through our courier system so there's pros and cons to both sides We also talked about um, how to manage requests from patrons for purchasing new materials and how um, sometimes patron requests are um, excessive. Uh, Sometimes someone will request a book 20 times and it literally does not exist in the format that they want it to exist in. (laughs) And so, um, you know, for instance, wanting an e-audiobook of a book that that has not been recorded uh it doesn't exist in that format and so it's physically not possible to purchase it in that format but the patron will continue to request it another drawback that people ran into was how to handle patron holds because some of the libraries had a pretty strict hold limit um somewhere as few as i think either five or ten holds um that could be on a certain account and so if people wanted to place holds on items that weren't yet released, it would be using up one of their holds. Uh, so if they wanted, um, you know, to get in line for a book that would be out in three months, you know, suddenly they can't put that many things on hold now. Uh, so very interesting how all of those um, different factors interplayed with each other. So I did learn a lot about collection development from that. And then the other presentation I went to that was uh, really informative was called Man, the Library Will Keep You Out of Jail. And it was from uh, two presenters who talked about um, an outreach program they had at a juvenile detention center. And they basically organized bi-monthly programs. Um, One time a month they would have a book club or book discussion, and then the other time I believe they had some sort of like craft or activity. And they had a regular group of kids that they worked with over the course of, I want to say about three or four months, Um, And then they would, you know, kind of start a new round um, as the kids are filtered in and out of the detention center. Um, And they had nothing but good things to say about the experience that these kids were extremely engaged and um, truly felt that they benefited from the program uh, in multiple ways. They said that their reading competency um, went up, that they felt more comfortable reading and were more encouraged to read. Um, They were also able to have discussions amongst the group uh, in which they really encouraged each other to pursue goals and um, plan for the future 
So they were, you know, given some hope for um, once they were released. They kept the the mood very light. Uh, They had a SpongeBob plush toy that they used as a part of their engagement uh, activities. And anyway, it gave me uh, ideas for ways we could connect with different parts of our community that we hadn't thought about connecting with before. At the Tequila Branch, we do have a very high teen population um, that can be very hard to connect with at times, uh, especially because we get different kids all the time. Some of them are regulars that we'll see every day that we can know by name, but a lot of them do just circulate. Um, And so it's always good to hear about different ways when librarians are able to make a true and emotional connected connection with some of these kids. Um, Obviously this is a very different setting than just the public library, Um, but it's cool to see how they were able to still bring um, our library values of you know literacy of connection uh, to this other setting that usually does get overlooked. One of the other cool things is they were able to get a grant to um, I think it was about five hundred dollars to purchase books for the detention center because up until that point they had only uh, donated books, which were usually either you know dusty old adult nonfiction they were interested in or uh, bodice rippers <laughs> for uh, Harlequin romances and uh, also not all that interesting especially when I believe they said something like 80% of the population was um, boys um, and so uh, they were able to get specifically YA fiction books that were a lot more pertinent to this population uh, and the kids were extremely grateful. Uh, they were able to bring two books back to their um, rooms with them and they said that they would reread them until that they were allowed to um, switch out books again. So they were able to not only bring the programming, but also the resources to um, the detention center. I went out and supported all of my GCPLers and um, went to all of their presentations. And I specifically want to talk about Joshua Beasley's presentation because he's not here. And he had a wonderful presentation about African-American genealogy. Um, which was very well attended. And um, he was also in our presentation practice group. So mm-hmm. we got to see him, you know, um, gain confidence and um, make his presentation a little sharper. And just, you know, um, it was wonderful to see him present in, at, at the conference. And it was great because um, he talked about the difficulties of African-American genealogy and how even when you're doing basic genealogy, he talked about, of course, using our um, library resource Ancestry.com, but the difficulty in actually, you know, finding um, people who um, whose histories are tied up with a very difficult part of um you know, this country's history. And so one of the things he talked about is relating it back to yourself. And it was very nice that he opened up and he made a personal connection and talked about his wife's family. And one of the reasons when he was helping um, her and with their genealogy and how like they kept on hitting walls. And so that's what made him want to actually look into the um, differences in African-American genealogy. And even... I learned some things. I thought I was fairly good at (laughs) genealogy, um, but um, it's really wonderful what's out there. And, you know, getting, 
I'm, I'm, I'm going to say the wrong date, but basically you have to get to a certain date and then um, finding out who your your ancestor's slave master was. Because once you get to that point, they, and this is one of the sad things, they were no longer considered a person, it's just property. And then you can find them under, you know, property and you won't find name. You can just find gender and age. And that was something new that I had never known before. Um, And um, other connections like the Library of Congress. And he also made a really great connection about um, something that we've spoken about in some other podcasts is genetic testing and how that helped um, in the genealogy search and how his wife found other relatives that she didn't know about. Um, so it was wonderful because there were many people who participated, like we said in some other sessions, about how when you're doing presenting, it's not just you're speaking at the audience. There was a lot of back and forth and people sharing their experiences. So it was a wonderful presentation. Yeah, and one of the things that I had learned from listening to his practice presentation um, was what Melissa just talked about, but then also when you're going back trying to figure out how to go back at a certain point that a lot of times after the Civil War, the former slaves would take their former master's Master's last name. That's how you can figure out to get beyond pre like 1860 yeah. is to follow those names so it, it gets complicated but in, in a unique and again tragic way but you have to understand that if you're going to get through this and Joshua was really good at speaking at that very frankly and mm-hmm. not trying to get you know oh, let me walk talk around it it's like you have yeah. to address this stuff because there's only the only way to get through it so and I'll just add one really um, interesting one that I saw uh, some of our fellow attendees at. It was the ghost storytelling. And I thought it was a session about how to be an effective ghost storyteller, but we were just sitting there listening to someone tell us scary stories, and I had trouble sleeping. So it was very good. <laughs> so, yeah, he did burst into song, too. It was quite interesting. I wish I remembered his name, but... That one stood out. Did any ghosts attend? <laughs> he said there was a ghost in that place. What was it called? The foundry. The, the foundry, yes. And a light kept flickering. Yes, there was a light flickering. So it was an old building. Um, so who knows? There could have been a ghost in the room. Well, we serve our entire community. Ghost outreach. <laughs> so did anybody make any connections or meet any interesting library professionals from other libraries that you've met? Because obviously these are people from all over the state and some people from out of state. But did you manage to connect with some people? I just completed my application for the MLIS program at Valdosta State University, a name that everybody may recognize because so many of our coworkers at GCBL keep graduating from there, which sets a good precedent for me. Um, I got to speak to the dean of libraries. I didn't know it at the time, but I found out afterwards. So I was able to freak out a little bit afterwards instead of deering. Um, I spoke to the dean of libraries about my application and was able to ask several questions that were Um, pertinent to my situation and it just made me so much more calm about the master's process and the graduate degree process. Um, I was able to attend the new member roundtable and interest group social at Cannon Brew Pop (laughs) and no I didn't drink. (laughs) Um, This was an opportunity to meet um, new and existing GLA members and also to mingle with others in the library uh, profession. And I was able to actually sit down and just 
have a casual conversation with others that are new, not necessarily GLA members, but are, that are new working at different types of libraries. Some are um, some were working for university libraries, other for uh, others at um, small counties libraries and. Uh, I met someone that actually works for the GLA Research and Assessment Interest Group, and I think there was a connection um, in terms of having a Latin American background and being able to talk about certain topics that um, interested me, but I didn't find an interest group um, that touched that topic and in the other uh, programs and I, I actually I'm excited that uh, uh, after the conference um, she actually was able to s- email me so that's um, a way to keep in touch and I'm glad about that. I met several of my former co-workers from a previous library system. I know GASP, someone has worked somewhere before GCDL. <laughs> um, and that was very nice. Um, I also made an interesting connection, and this is why just be open to anything when you're at a conference. I was just walking around, minding my own business, and this older gentleman stopped me and said, hey, you should come to this meeting we're having tomorrow. And I said, sure, which session is it? And, you know, I I was walking around with my little book, and he was just like, it's in this room at, you know, two o'clock or whatever, and I opened, and I did not see it, and I was wondering to myself, is this legit? Do we have some strange thing going on? But when I went into the room, it was legit, and apparently... um, We are trying to start a Black Caucus um, for the Georgia Library Association, and um, there were lots of library professionals, and the older gentleman who invited me was a very interesting individual and very charismatic and a great speaker. Um, So it's just in the um, planning stages. It's not um, official yet, but if we did, I think Georgia would be one of the first states that just partnered with it directly like that and didn't have it as just like some separate entity that had to you know just be off by itself so that was really cool and interesting and if I had been a chicken and said I don't know who this guy is (laughs) I wouldn't have been able to attend such a really eye-opening session so that was nice so follow strange men wherever they ask yes. you to go, kids. <laughs> that is the lesson. Just <laughs> We have puppies. Come on. Yes. <laughs> so what would you tell um, a colleague to encourage them to attend either GLC or any kind of conference? Since you all seem to have a wonderful time. It was a great time. I was lucky enough to go along with people that I knew already. I had two people that worked in my branch, so Dekula was bare bones while we were gone. Um, And even if they hadn't been along, if I hadn't known anybody at all, I would have been still so happy to be there. So even if you're not sure what's going to be there, you will find something that's going to be interesting for you. Um, And then if you are thinking about presenting, if if there's a topic that you're interested in, I guarantee there's somebody else, at least, who's going to be interested in that topic as well. So... Take a shot and see if you can present on it. I would echo a lot of that. You know, it, it never hurts to put your name in for something here at GCPL, so you might as well, you know, and see what that is because 
you know, part of it is that you just, you have to keep raising your hand, um, you know, so uh, I'd also say that, you know, I'm going to put on a, you know, slightly different hat for a second and, and plug, you know, GLA more broadly. Uh, you know, the Georgia Library Association is open to anybody. You don't have to have a library degree or anything like that. And if you are a, you know, if you don't have your library degree, membership is $12 a year. For uh, for degreed librarians, it's 35 So, I mean, it's a really inexpensive group to be a part of. This conference is pretty inexpensive. I mean, if you decided that you wanted to go on your own without the system funding you, I think it's $160 for members to attend. So, I mean, for a three-day event, that's about as low as it gets. And there's just, there's a lot of really, you know, great opportunities, people to meet, things to learn about, because, you know, Georgia may seem like it's, you know, we're not like in the thick of things uh, sometimes, but we really are. And there's a lot to to learn and a lot to know about, Um, you know, and then there's different, you know, award opportunities, like, you know, Sarah is a, a scholarship winner this year, the C.S. Hubbard Scholarship recipient. And so, um, you know, just go so that you can, the only way you can take advantage of these sorts of opportunities is by going and learning about them. And, uh, you know, and you can't just send somebody else because you have a unique perspective. And so what's going to grab you isn't necessarily what grabs somebody else. And so that, that perspective is valuable. Well, thank you, everyone, for sharing your experience at the Georgia Library Conference. Is it meta? Would it be considered meta that we're doing the podcast and talking yes. about a performance? <laughs> yes. About our telling people how to do a podcast for libraries. So that was interesting. And it's interesting right now. But Podcasts all the way down. Yes. Just several levels of podcasting. And now we will let someone else speak about their experience. (laughs) 